In the emergency room, one rainy winter day, a woman laid curled up in a fetal position looking at the wall, waiting to be seen. She sobs as I introduce myself as the chaplain. I lost my husband. My husband died last week. We were married 23 years, 23 perfect years. I miss him so much. She recounted how he was sick for 23 years and she had taken care of him. And he took care of her through a number of nervous breakdowns. Because she couldn't read, he read the Bible to her. When he died, his family of origin abruptly took him from Rhode Island back to North Carolina without her. I never got to see him after he died, she wept. I called this morning and they told me not to call ever again. 23 years, and that's all I get from his family in North Carolina. She cried, God took him away from me and I don't know where he is. How could God love me when he took Arthur away? Our communities, our nation, and the world is rent by the suffering of people like Rose. People who doubt God's presence in a time of need. The destitute who beg for food and a place to live. All who grieve what they have lost. Health, family, friends, homes, a way of life. Good people who are shunned by families and neighbors and nations because of their religious beliefs and ways. How do we understand their suffering, our suffering? How do we understand what Jesus says today? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rose didn't feel blessed. Many live in places of the world and here in Santa Rosa where they wonder where to turn for help when they suffer. Surely it's not the government. A recent survey shows that only one in five, 18% of Americans trust the government in Washington to do what is right, just about always 3%, or most of the time 15%, no matter what side of the aisle they vote. Someone who needs a hand up because they lost their home or a job or health care, or who weeps because they lost a loved one. To them, what can we say? I'm reading a book by Bishop Jake Owensby of the Diocese of Western Louisiana, Resurrection Shaped Life, Dying and Rising on Planet Earth. Before entering the ministry, Owensby was a philosophy professor who in college classes would ask his students, why do people suffer? As an instructor, his answer was that God gave people freedom and that decision, in that decision, let go of his control. So suffering was brought on by the freedom that we have to harm others or be indifferent to their plight. God didn't cause human suffering, we do. Sadly, some take this idea and run with it blaming victims for their situation. 
For example, a person is poor because they lack effort to get ahead. A person is rich because they worked harder than others. Sadly, research shows that in America today, the richer you are, the more likely you are to blame the poor for their plight, ensuring indifference to them and others who hurt. For example, about half of people with incomes of $75,000 or more say a person is rich because they worked harder than someone who is poor, compared with about a third of people with incomes less than $30,000. On the other hand, people with low incomes are more likely than the rich to believe they're rich because they had advantages in life, and the poor have encountered, quote, circumstances beyond their control, unquote. Thoughts like these can have real consequences. What happens when we think that the poor or the grieving or the oppressed are responsible for their plight, that they get what they deserve? We can easily shame them, shun them, and leave them feeling that God doesn't care. Bishop Owensby became increasingly frustrated with his glib answer. He realized that Jesus didn't worry about the sources of suffering, but where God is in the midst of it. Asking why people suffer is the wrong question. Rather, where is God for people who suffer? How can we, as a Christian community, take responsibility to change the culture and our social systems to prevent suffering? We have the answer in today's lessons. Jesus learned his Hebrew scripture well at the feet of his mother Mary. We remember her Magnificat, which presages the Beatitudes. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus learned his lessons well at Mary's feet. And today he opens his heart to speak on the plain, not a mountaintop as in the Gospel of Matthew, but a plain like the plain of Santa Rosa, where are gathered people from all Judea and Jerusalem, but also Gentile lands beyond it, like Tyre and Sidon. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus walks among God's diverse people. He heals without asking about social class, income, religion, gender orientation, age, or citizenship. To men, women, and children, Roman soldiers, centurions, and Samaritans, not just here on the plain, but in all the land through which he will journey, Jesus will bring hope. In the darkness of suffering, he preaches of God's reversal of the social order, destitute to rich, hungry to full, weeping to laughing, hated to respected. He brings good news of the health and unity of all people in God's merciful love. Today, many overseas and in our nation live in darkness because of circumstances beyond their control. The gospel reminds me not only of them, but also of people who, like Jesus, walk fearlessly among the last, the lost, and the least. I'm thinking of a Christian, Jeremy Courtney, who wrote a book, 
and chairs a nonprofit, the Preemptive Love Coalition. Its mission in Iraq and Syria is to bring hope into that war-torn place through economic development, microeconomic development. Among their initiatives is saving children with life-threatening heart defects by empowering Syrian refugees to sell klosh, a locally made Kurdish shoe. In the midst of chemical attacks as well as weapon fire, their founder and employees dare to live among the vulnerable, to welcome those who flee in terror and give them hope. And Courtney does it because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Quote, yes, the world is scary as hell. Love anyway, he says. To love others as Christ loves us, we have to get over ourselves, our prideful self-regard. We need to appreciate the advantages in life we may have experienced. As Jesus freely enters into the suffering of others, so must we. As I encountered Rose, I didn't do a very good job of it, at least in the beginning. She was wearing an earring that Arthur had given her. I coaxed her, the earring is beautiful. In a way, he's with you, isn't he? She shouted, no, he isn't. I keep on asking Arthur to come to me, and I don't feel nothing. I read Psalm 91 to her. There shall no evil happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Unquote. She protested, I don't feel anything. I hurt so much. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown, and Arthur isn't here to be with me. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And she sobbed. I asked, may I read something else? When she gave me another chance, I read the worst psalm of all, Psalm 88. Lord, why have you rejected me? Why have you hidden your face from me? Ever since my youth, I have been wretched and at the point of death. I have borne your terrors with a troubled mind. Your blazing anger has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. My friend and my neighbor you have put away from me, and darkness is my only companion. And I stopped there because that is the end of the psalm. She exclaimed, that's exactly how I feel. How did you know that? I said, because I felt that way sometimes. May I have a copy of that? Is there a copy machine here? Can you go now and make a copy? I want to show that to my doctor and say to him, that's exactly how I feel. They did have a copy machine. It's not easy to suspend judgment, walk through our personal anxiety and grief, own our sense of privilege, and enter the storm of another person. But that's what Jesus did. This is what it means to be blessed. Fearlessly, the risen Christ enters tombs of darkness where the people of God suffer and leads them into new life. He knows what it means to suffer because he suffered. He was persecuted, died, and was buried. By the grace of God, he rose from the dead. And today, he promises that by the grace of God, 
rose and all who live in darkness will rise. Paul reminds us today that the resurrection of the dead awaits us after death. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But resurrection also happens when by the power of the Holy Spirit, we work beside the risen Lord. When we share our resurrected lives with others, with whatever gifts with which we are blessed, sacred listening, building community-oriented businesses and nonprofits, empowering refugees, working in public service, political advocacy, caring for those who are ill, feeding the hungry, or simply walking a few steps with someone on their journey. Pastor Jeffrey Jones, a Baptist minister, paraphrases Paul when he writes, if for the next life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It is in this life we experience resurrection, and in this life, by God's grace, we make resurrection possible for others. Archbishop Desmond Tutu writes of his experience of political violence in South Africa, Ireland, and other places, quote, in the middle of our faith is the death and resurrection. Nothing could have been more hopeless than the Good Friday. But then Easter happened, and forever we have become prisoners of hope. The sea is made up of drops of water. There is no way in which injustice can ever prevail over goodness. Love must always prevail over hate, unquote. My brothers and sisters, rise today as prisoners of hope and walk into the dark with not a candle but a torch to scare away the enemy in Christ's name. Amen.